When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go to many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about traps. Nathan, what is a trap? It's a thing that's hidden. And, and you, if you step on it or activate it in some way, you die somehow. Potentially, yeah. Thank you for giving a semi-accurate answer for once. I was honestly a little concerned that you'd give the anime definition of a trap. So thank you for not doing that. Remy, what is this anime thing you keep talking about? Anyway, a trap in Dungeons & Dragons, as you said, is generally just some dangerous thing that you encounter that was generally purposefully set up to cause harm to those traveling into a particular area. It is a massive, complicated topic in all honesty, and something that a lot of Dungeon Masters have trouble getting the balance of to actually be what they want it to be. And honestly, myself included in this, like you may. Yeah. So before I do get into just talking about it. I'm curious, just Nathan, how much do you think traps actually get talked about through the books? Quite a lot, I imagine. Yeah. It is D&D. True. And there are lots of stuff talking about in the Dungeon Master's Guide, in Xanathar's, in a lot of adventure modules. They talk about traps in various places. But there are a lot of things that are kind of confusing about it. So... When, as a dungeon master, would you, Nathan, use traps? Perhaps in a in a in the dungeon, I would use a trap. <laughs> Whereas in for what situation? Like, what would be the purpose okay. for you as a dungeon master using traps? So generally speaking, traps imply two 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 things, right? That the unwanted attention is expected, and they are generally going to come in through one way or another. Those yeah. are yeah. Those are the two assumptions, which gives you a lot to work with when uh, basically you just as long as you meet those criteria where the person is aware that there's going to be people coming and then that they don't want them to get in. Now, then you can work from there and think, OK, how how much do they not want people to get in there? So is it I'm going to break your legs or you're going to fucking die? <laughs> So there's actually three categories that actually are specifically talked about in the Dungeon Master's Guide that I actually quite like the description of. And they mention, as you were talking about, dangerous versus deadly traps. But then there's also a third category that's actually listed first, which is a setback. And I really like that just those three. So it's setback, dangerous or deadly, depending on what the intent of the trap creators in world are. So are they trying to just slow down people to come in? Are they trying to just like hurt them and weaken them to make the inevitable fight easier? Or is the trap itself intended to directly kill whoever falls into it? 
And speaking of falling, there are a lot of different types of listed traps. But honestly, one of the fun things to me, at least about traps, is that it is one of those things where a trap can be whatever the fuck you want it to be. Wait, Remy, I just thought of an amazing trap. Oh, dear. I call it the tripper, right? So imagine when you're walking through a dungeon, it's not very well lit, and then you're walking forward. Suddenly you hear a sound, and then you trip over. Later, looking back, you realize that the floor has moved a brick specifically to trip you up. <laughs> it just has a brick that just comes up six inches. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, the, that's the whole trap. <laughs> you, just, all you get Just is... <laughs> saving throw or fall prone. Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> that's the entire thing. I mean... Honestly, that's actually a really good trap, because unless you have something like the mobile feet, like it takes half your movement speed to stand up. So even if you have no damage, if you do just have like a save or trip trap, like, like that works to slow you down. That's an amazing dungeon idea. You just like mid fight. You're just like walking, like moving to positions and just suddenly just fucking trip over. I mean, honestly, that's a really good idea, Nathan. I'm impressed. Like, imagine it, especially if you have like an entire corridor that just has like some number of these things. So then it could just be like as the party is walking along, they just you just have the entire party make saving throws or just trip. That's amazing. It's just like imagine just toppling your way through. The room. Yeah. I mean, also, let me just move. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but this is a good opportunity, honestly. One of the things that a smart trap maker should take advantage of is multiple traps that complement each other. So in this particular example, like let's say that you have a trip trap like we were just talking about, but that leads to a pit trap right in front of it. So it could be a situation of like, OK, yeah, there might be a pretty obvious like pit trap. So the party is getting ready to just jump over the pit like it might be a relatively small one. But oh, then the, like, they charge and then, uh, it's, and then you have to have to roll the saving throw for the trip oh, trap. Oh, that's so big. Fall in the pit. Jesus. Because <laughs> normally a pit trap is like, OK, you step on a thing and then the floor opens up underneath you. But this case is like, OK, I'm totally prepared for it. I'm I'm so big brain i'm just gonna leap across this gap yeah, run. Like, <laughs> you could have it be an obvious uncovered pit trap and have it right Holy there shit, that is amazing look i like, love it yeah like you could just have like a five foot wide pit trap so like an easy leap for any competent adventurer <laughs> but then when they go to actually make the leap <laughs> A stone well, rises like, from no, the floor. No, no. And the thing is it's, it's one of those things that if they fell down, it could look like just a an accident. It's amazing. Maybe like it depends. Like, do you do? Yeah, do you just have it be just like the one that just comes up, or it's just just like a pressure plate in this space before makes it come up, and then that's why you know they have to make the save when they are you know running forward. Like, or is it the kind of thing that just like uh, is it a resetting trap? So, okay, so let me now rewind back to talking more about types of traps. There are even just types of traps, quite a few. So the simplest type is just there is a thing that is dangerous. And honestly, pit trap is probably like one of the most common traps that is used in Dungeons and Dragons. However, it is the most common trap for a reason. It works. It makes sense. It can absolutely slow down adventurers who do end up falling into one. 
it can definitely hurt someone who does fall into it, especially if you go into like the more advanced versions. I'd have like, you know, spikes or even like poison things at the bottom, like or if you have oh, like uh, a monster oh. or something in it. <laughs> or, or as we realized in the Halloween episode. Mm hmm. Oh, what, what, what was it? Some cube? <sighs> I forgot the name. Gelatinous cube. Gelatinous cube. Yes. Yes. So that honestly, that is one of my favorite traps that I've ever come up with. Have a pit trap that just has a gelatinous cube in it. So gelatinous cubes, not exactly the best climbers. So it's just there. And then you just have a pit with living acid at the bottom. But honestly, if you just keep it fed with random adventurers that stumble into your domain, it's probably not, you know, not super against its living situation at that point. I mean, it's not exactly the most intelligent of creatures for the most part. Remember, do not abuse your monsters. No, seriously. This is a thing that pisses me off a lot of the time in movies where you have just like the bad guy with like a pet dragon or, you know, creature in the basement, you know, the Rancor in Jabba's palace. Like so many versions of media do this trope where like they just treat it not great in a lot of the time. And then as soon as there's an opportunity, it turns on and kills the master. <laughs> so yeah, that's treat trope, your beasts well. Feed them. Don't starve them to make them more vicious. If they're a carnivorous creature that eats flesh anyway, you don't need to do that. I think they, they would like more head pads, honestly. I mean, honestly, that would be kind of hilarious. Imagine if you do have like oh shit, a big bad evil guy, and who just actually Sethi has a pet that loves evil. him. <laughs> yes, yeah, is just have like, a situation where dragon? yeah, where it is just like a loyal minion that does actually like care about the master because it's a well-treated creature. So That's if, you, if you're making big bad evil guys, just again, they don't have to be. Hey, hey, you know what they say? Hitler left dogs. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that example, but fine. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it, it, it fits the trope, but OK. But anyway, yeah, but having a pit trap with a thing in it is a cool thing to do. And also just, you know, pit trap is something that's a relatively easy thing to make. Like if you've just got five goblins with shovels, they could make a pit relatively quickly. So. This is one of the things that pisses me off a lot regarding early level D&D. Goblins and kobolds both are notorious for their traps. For some reason, though, I would say nine times out of ten, a dungeon master that sets up a low level kobold or goblin encounter doesn't make any fucking traps and then they just get slaughtered like animals. I hate that. The whole reason that they're supposed to be a danger in a D&D world is that they are sentient trap making creatures. So if you have a bunch of goblins in a cave, make pit traps, make like, you know, a crappy, you know, crossbow kind of <laughs> trap, make traps, damn it. They're supposed to be there. That's part of the way that the creatures are designed. Can, can you imagine a, like a stupid ass trap? They, they get like a single gold piece and put it on a stump of wood and then it's just like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And there's just a net that pulls up when they pick it up. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is like, it's one gold piece and then and then you just have like someone like Gaurav who is broke and just like, hey, what's this? Fix it up. I mean, to be fair, 
it wouldn't even necessarily need a Gorov type. Like, especially like, don't make it obvious to be like on a stump. If you just right. like, if you just have, have your players roll a really good perception check, but like lower than the trap DC, then you can right. just like, oh, you notice a gold coin on the ground. Oh shit! Oh, okay, that's that, a nice, that that's a convenient result. Yeah, it sounds like the DM is throwing them a bone. But then they go and they stand on it, and then the goblins hiding in the bushes pull the rope that pulls up the net. And that's another great, yeah. And that's also a great of the setback type traps. A net is not going to do any damage, but if you have, you know, a Gorif or just any melee character that is oddly the type that is prone to picking up a random object, that there is some correlation in that Venn diagram. But uh, yeah, that all of a sudden that character is in a lot of trouble and may need to actually like waste a turn or two just trying to cut through the damn net or even need to be rescued by someone else in the party. Honestly, we need to do that at some point. <laughs> Trap Gorf in the net. Oh, yeah, that would that would make me. That would be a moment. <laughs> that would be yes. very something. Uh, also, especially if like his new weapon ends up being. Well, no, he already got a new axe. I was going to say if he ended up stuck with a hammer, that would be hilarious. If he had oh, damn it. It's just like, it's like, oh, damn it. I can't get out. I miss my axe. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that would be really funny. But yeah, but the thing is, OK, looking again from the meta perspective coming from me, shocking, I know. Imagine, though, OK, net trap, even if it only captures a single character, single character. Let's say it's a melee character for the sake of argument here. They in round one aren't able to act because they're in a net. Other character may be the one to have to try to rescue them. So they have to, you know, go over to the rope and cut it to make the net fall back to the ground. So that makes round one of combat have two player characters not able to attack in that first round of combat. So thinking about the action economy, that is two turns take it out of the combat encounter by one trap only trapping one character and if the net is able to capture two characters all the better and then depending on how high the net pulls them up maybe it does also damage them a little maybe it does like hoist them 10 feet up and then they'll take that d6 of falling damage when the net gets cut down like to have such a simple trap can easily take away two turns of characters in that combat encounter where they're not shooting the goblins and that is exactly why traps matter. They can eat up the action economy of player characters a lot. So even if it's not like a super damaging kind of trap, again, action economy matters. And dungeon masters need to remember that fact and take advantage of that while planning encounters, because that is something that drastically shifts the balance of combat. So sticking with the, this, you know, net trap and goblin example, let's just say that it's, you know, like a third level party. So they don't have fireball or anything massive like that yet. OK, so if you've got like four third level PCs and let's even just say six goblins, normally it just a straight on, you know, shoot them up. That wouldn't be terribly difficult. They don't exactly have a lot of hit points. So player characters should mop the floor with them. But again, if round one eats up two actions from the party, then that means then that there is at least one round of combat where all six of those goblins might be able to shoot a short bow at the party. So if they notice a hey, rogue guy, magic, fire, hot, bad, kill, kill, kill. And then you have six goblins just shoot down your wizard. Six attacks, even as low as that damage is, that has a chance of downing a low level character pretty quickly. 
So that is a massive disadvantage of the party, even just by the end of a single round of combat, because there is not yet an opportunity for the party to split them up, take one or two out, because they are distracted by the trap. So it can make a massive, massive difference in a fight just to have a single trap. So let me just mention another classic trap that exists in fiction, which is the rolling boulder. This is a classic for good reason. It's fucking cool. (laughs) It is fun to describe narratively. It's just awesome. However, like we were talking about earlier, combining traps is also a really cool thing that you can do. Hey, the trip trap. Yeah. So let's say you just have a trip trap and you have a like one character, let's just say even just one guy falls in the pit. But then you also have a boulder trap. Okay. So the boulder rolls by and then the boulder, you know, other play PCs might have to, you know, make the deck save to try to get out of its way, depending on, you know, how big the tunnel is or if it's outside, whatever. However, the smart thing for the trap maker to do, imagine the boulder rolls by, but then plugs the top of the pit trap. Big oof. Big oof. Because at that point, then, if you have very big rock plugging the top of your pit trap, that PC is in a real bad situation. I mean, they can't exactly you know, move through stone at low levels very easily or like just lift an object that heavy, especially if it's like a 10 foot deep pit, then they can't like push the rock from inside because they have no leverage there. Remy. So you have just taken a character out of the combat encounter. Hmm? I was just thinking, right? Wouldn't it be funny if, if you took uh, traps as a concept and you took an entire dungeon and then you, you just asked this question, okay, what if the trap maker guy was like, you know what I should do? I'm going to spend all my trap budget on this one bit. And then you just enter the room. You step on a bunch of things, arrows start flying, a boulder comes down, the walls start closing in at the same time, you trip over. So you just have one hyper, hyper deadly hallway. And then like like and then if you get past that, it's just like the, the rest of the place is fucking empty. <laughs> it's fucking empty. Like you just walk in, there's like an echo in the place, you look about, there's no traps. I mean, to be fair, that is a strategy that a person could use. Because if you do have a ton of traps in one spot. If all of those trigger at the same time, it's probably pretty audible to the people farther in. So if all of a sudden everything goes off, then you hear inside, oh shit, all of my traps have gone off, teleport out, or just like <laughs> secret escape tunnel, bye! And if, especially if it is like f- way farther into the complex, then they have the time when the traps go off to try and, to and escape you can hear or hide. Echoing because of yeah. the empty hallways. <laughs> exactly. And that would honestly be a pretty good strategy to take advantage of like or if you're just in like um, a mine or something like that and you just like trap heavily the entrance there's oh, a lot of tunnels in Wait, a mine that's actually an impressive so-called combat encounter that you could do where you just have a grid and then you know where all the traps are and then mm-hmm. you show where the exit is and then have the thing play out every six seconds as it would in a combat encounter and then just show what's happening that's a way to do it that's impressive so, but that would be very cool So on that note, there's actually some description kind of like that in the Dungeon Master's Guide. So they talk about simple traps where it is just like a thing happens. But then there's also complex traps where there is stuff that happens continually. And in that situation, like mechanically, the way it works, you actually have the trap roll initiative. And then that is the point during the encounter 
where it just goes to the next step or continues doing the thing, whatever that may be. And it is a lot of fun for me just to think about complex traps because, I mean, that's how my mind works. Let's be honest. So think so examples that they give is the kind of thing of like, you know, the hallway is barred and all of a sudden, you know, one wall starts just pushing forward to try to squish the party. So then there is some amount of time that passes until the party is just squished and they have, you know, so many rounds to try to figure out a way to disable or to break the trap or the kind of thing of like a room starts to fill with water and you have so many rounds until bad until bad end. However, it doesn't have to be just mechanical traps. One thing that is also existent and has been for, I think, all of D&D history, honestly, is also the idea of magic traps. So I love me some magic. And the idea of this is that you can have basically magic items that are made that are triggered by a particular action. And what makes me so happy about this is that 5e doesn't really have great magic item rules, so it is left a lot up to the dungeon master's creativity. So there are examples of magic traps that are given, but it doesn't have to be anything like what is described. So to give the an example of like a canonical one. They have a fire breathing statue, which is anytime an intruder steps on a hidden pressure plate, it just shoots out fire. That's a 15 uh, DC to spot it. 13 DC deck save to do 4 D10 fire damage over a 30 foot cone and then half as much damage on a save. However, one of the things that is particularly interesting to me about this trap is the fact that, in theory, this can be used every round. This does not have the normal limitations on magic items of, you know, seven charges or what have you for an uncommon typical magic item. Because, like, at least the way I imagine it is that, okay, this is a larger item physically, so it is just able to just absorb more ambient magic just based on pure surface area. So it has a very simple effect that every round can blast out some amount of automatic damage because, again, they still take half damage on a successful save. So they will take some amount of damage if they are in the area. However, the other thing that is very important to consider for magic traps Glyph of Warding is one of my favorite spells. And honestly, I might do an episode on that at some point in the future, but it might just end up a bit ranty. So I'll just give the simple version here. Glyph of Warding is a spell that can either just set off a magical kaboom of a damage type that you pick, which is pretty good in its own right. But there are two other aspects of it that make it so important. Number one, you choose the trigger. So you can have the trigger just be if a creature walks within 30 feet, it, ha- it goes off. But it could also just be if a drow walks up to it or if anyone but a dwarf walks up to it or if someone wearing a red hat walks up. It is explicit in the spell that you can just make up the thing that sets it off or like it goes off except for a dwarf with a nose piercing. Like you could make it as specific as you want for what sets it off. And it is racism incredibly versatile. (laughs) Ah, Fuck you. You had to go with that. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't it be fun? (laughs) You know, (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> it would but be a anyway, thing. Though. So the point, though, is that so Glyph of Warding, the fact that that spell exists means that there is magic that is able to specify all of those triggers, which means then that if you wanted to as a dungeon master, you can decide that any magic trap could have the trigger of the Glyph of Warding, even if you're not just using the spell's text itself. So just the fact that you can make magic traps that are triggered by whatever the fuck that you want. And I appreciate having that amount of creativity to exist. The other angle, though, is that Glyph of Warding has another option called a Spell Glyph, where instead of just a magical kaboom, you can spend the, the extra spell slot to actually store a spell into a glyph that just goes off later. And there is a lot of Reddit threads just talking about how potentially abusable Glyph of Warding can be, especially if you are in a stronghold situation. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it, but it is just a fun Google if you have the time. But OK, you have a spell glyph and then you just have it. So, OK, if someone is just within 100 feet of the glyph, it casts Fireball because Fireball is a spell with a 150 foot range. And a lot of player character spells may not necessarily have that kind of range. Like even the spell Detect Traps, which again is a spell that exists that just immediately tells you, are there traps within 120 feet of me? So if you have a Glyph of Warding, though, that's set to go off, if someone enters 150 feet of range, it outranges Detect Traps, which is a kind of DM dick move. So even when I do have a Glyph of Fireball, then I usually will just still keep it to within like a 60 foot range to trigger because in world, the explanation is like, you don't want to risk it triggering accidentally or triggering like two to shoot like in if someone does accidentally, you know, come from the other direction. But practically speaking, it's just, it gives your players a chance if they do happen to have the ability to find the trap. But anyway, uh, so aside from glyph avoiding though, just the fact that that magic exists means that, like you can choose to apply the trigger. And that is what I want to kind of focus on for the sake of magic traps. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Nathan, just can you think of any other just 
fun traps that you might be put be able to put the, the trip trap <laughs> that was one it is the coolest trap um it has a sleek form factor <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, there's an elegance and simplicity to its design anyway so another <laughs> trap <laughs> that i think um is pretty cool um, is the blade swinging overhead that you did during the Halloween episode? Yeah, oh, that, man, I had so much fun with the traps in that episode. Yeah, because uh, for a lot of these things, it, you you can sort of figure out how to circumnavigate them. Like the, the the you might take on a special walking technique to get bypass a trip trap. You might walk in a certain way to bypass the axe above your head trap. And I find find those kinds of traps really fun because it, it, they, they create situations. So one other thing that I should mention, of course, theoretically, magic items don't have to follow the normal rules of spells because it is shaping the magic in a different way. So if you want to, you can have traps that do things a bit tweaked from the way a spell has its effect described. So as a more specific example, in the Halloween 2020 Riftwake episode, I made a very heavily trapped hallway with a bunch of complementary traps. So one thing that happened was that there was an ongoing use of the spell darkness. So again, we've already mentioned with the fire trap that a magic trap can perpetually generate a spell effect or just some magical effect doesn't have to even replicate a spell necessarily. So fine. So this hall was just in permanent magical darkness. So that alone makes it very difficult because unless you have a player character with like a warlock's devil sight, even normal dark vision cannot see through magical darkness. So, okay. So first things first, it's dark. Second thing, yeah, the swinging blade trap. Again, just very common kind of trope trap. But for a good reason. They're fun and they're cool as hell. If you just have giant blades that are just swinging across a space, but then made worse by the fact that you can't see them. So it makes it that much harder on the PCs. And just to add one more fuck you to my players. So Nathan and the guys, even just something mundane to make it that much more deadly, because in theory, you would be able to duck under these things. However, the floor was covered in broken glass. So nothing magical about it, just a floor covered in broken glass just to make it that much more dangerous to traverse. So magical darkness, blades they can't see with the floor covered in glass. So to make it that much more punishing, were they to try to crawl under them? And from the magical perspective, none of this would be terribly difficult to make or do. So that is a dangerously effective combination, but also like as proven at the end of the actual encounter, it is something that smart use of spells and abilities can navigate to mitigate a lot of the dangers of that encounter. So that also takes me on to another thing that is important to talk about with traps, which is single use or resetting. Because if you have like the classic dart trap, you step on a plate and a dart just flies out the wall and attacks the character might or might not be poisoned. But usually if you fire something like that, it's fired. There's no more dart in the wall. So it fires once and then that's that. And that's actually something that 
is kind of neat if you think about it from like a world building perspective. There can be a lot of traps that have just been expended already in a place that players travel through. So you can just like describe these cool things that have already been triggered. It just shows age and life to the dungeon or setting that the players are in. Or you could also go another way, which is the resetting trap, which is, okay, I'll even throw you a bone, Nathan, and use your trip trap as an example. So with the trip trap, you step on a a pressure plate, and then the next stone up rises so that you have to potentially trip over it. The thing is, like mechanically speaking, it'd be real easy to have the kind of, you know, clockwork, I mean, setting dependent, of course, where, okay, you step on the pressure plate, the next stone goes up, but then like when you lift your foot off the pressure plate, it goes back down. So like if you're walking, then it's a problem. But if you just like go around it, then obviously not a problem. And it just resets. It's fine. You move on. Like another example that I quite like is I have seen people make pit traps. However, they have a like wood or stone lid that is on a spring. So it's really simple, like from the mechanics perspective where, okay, you step on it, you fall, but then the spring just closes it right up after you, which makes it that much harder to get out of, but also means that the trap is just still there for other individuals. So. Honestly, like my first thought, though, is another way to just make that like more inconvenient, even if not more dangerous. Imagine if you also have a magical effect in there with just the silence spell. So you have a player character who goes ahead to scout. They fall in the trap, but then they can't yell for help. It's not dangerous. It's not damaging, but it is really fucking inconvenient because silence is an area of effect spell where no sound is able to be made in that area. So even if like they yell, scream, like even if they like throw a rock to try to hit the bottom of the door, no sound will pass. So from the other player's perspective, that character is just kind of out of play at the moment unless someone else just falls down in with them. So it is such a simple thing to potentially do, but would be way more effective just because of that addition of silence. So, of course, me being me, you know, I love me some high magic. So how could you combine illusions with traps? I I guess you could cast some sort of visual illusion above a pit trap and then people just walk straight into it. Yeah. And again, we mentioned the pit trap a lot in this episode, but it's for good reason. Like, it's so effective at delaying player characters. So... Moving on just from the kind of styles of traps, I'm curious, just Nathan, what would you make intending to be a deadly trap? Hmm. So I imagine something like having that boulder trap with no uh, feasible um, exit would be pretty deadly, I imagine, like against the wall and you're trapped and then the thing hits you straight on. Yeah, that would be a problem. I don't think many people can take a fucking boulder to the face and survive. They cannot. So for the record, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there are charts that mention suggested damage for traps. So I'm curious, what do you think is like the highest level deadly traps suggested damage? Uh, 5d10? 24d10. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) so that is the suggestion for a deadly trap of 17th to 20th level so 
can with that in mind, can you see how there could be potential balance issues for a dungeon master making traps? No, not at all. Dying in one <laughs> shot is not an issue whatsoever. I guess with you it not. wouldn't be. But seriously, though, that is a warning that I want to make clear to dungeon masters. I like traps a lot. However, it is very important to me, at least, that you be sure that your players are aware, like if they're going into like the dungeon that belongs to a lich or just like some ancient, powerful evil, but the party is all fifth level, please give them some warning before they get to the point of just, oh, instant TPK the moment they enter the first hallway. Like give their give them something to warn them. So maybe you have a kind of thing like the liches in this place because like they were sealed in by, you know, a powerful adventurer that was able to like kill them but couldn't find their phylactery. So they were able to just like seal the ruins and seal them inside. So the player characters might find this later, but then maybe there's just like an engraving on like the entryway that's basically like warning lich inside. Seriously, don't. Because like... It is a kind of long running joke on a lot of like map making regarding D&D that you have like here there, you know, here be dragons. But there would be that in fantasy maps. Like there are going to be places where it's known. No, seriously, there's a bad thing there. Don't go there. So it creates this kind of like living world for player characters of like, yeah, yeah. Like that's common knowledge kind of stuff where it's just known. Don't go to this place. But then they know a thing is there that they might want to revisit at some point in the future. So that gives them something to look forward to, to work towards potentially in your world. And so just by mentioning that there are dangerous things, you're helping like build up for your future. But again, all that that takes is just pre-planning like your dangerous things in the world and just making sure that the players know not yet, but one day because like we were talking about before, it is really easy to change the direction of combat with traps. So there's actually quite a few listed traps also in uh, the Appendix A of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like there is a chart of potential random traps and damages. So there's one of them that just sticks out to me as particularly dangerous at all levels, which is magic missiles shoot from a statue or object. Nathan, what's special about magic missiles? They don't miss. They don't miss. So if you have a smart bad guy that has like four magic missile traps in a hallway, even a first level use of magic missiles shoots three missiles. So four traps would shoot 12 missiles dealing 1d4 plus one of automatic damage every round that's dangerous as hell and honestly kind of a dick move if you were to do that on the other hand it's a smart thing to do from the building perspective so this is exactly a kind of thing that you can use as a dungeon master to show this guy ain't fucking around so let's say you have like a slightly higher level party let's say you know that they are at Let's just say sixth level at this point. Okay, four magic missile traps, 12 missiles on a single character. How much would that be? I should have pre-planned the math. 
So average of 2.5 times 12, 25. Okay, wait, 3.5. I messed up my math. Well, point being, it's not an insignificant amount of damage. <laughs> I'm tired. It is 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> anyway, having magic missile traps at that level are probably not going to instantly kill a party member, even if it all focuses on one individual. But that could actually be a pretty interesting way to be a dangerous tier of trap so it's not automatically deadly but if you find out that okay you get in range of the first trap by accident it fires off three automatic damage fuck you know we need to deal with that so then the choice has to be made by the party do we deal with these traps or do we try to just like charge through them and just eat that amount of damage to just pass by it yeah, that's and exactly that, what we did in the Christmas episode. We planned well, to take all the damage uh, from the traps with our great strategy skills. Anyway, so that takes us to a very important discussion about all of this, which is dealing with traps. And, and what I mean is, how do you find and how do you get rid of a trap? So, Nathan, if you have an area that has traps, what are the rules for trying to just find it before it goes off? I mean, the proper way probably would be like against um, like your passive perception against the DC. And then if the players decide to check the roll against the DC. Potentially, yeah. And one kind of neat thing to me, at least, is that in the charts in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there are... Or sorry, there is rather a trap save DC and attack bonuses chart to kind of figure out, OK, so what should the DC and the attack bonus of traps attacking players be? And so that can go anywhere from just DC of 10 to 20. So you can have traps that are really easy to find or traps that are really fucking hard. But honestly, the fact that it caps at 20, I'm not super fond of, but that's just my high magic brain just wanting more boom but anyway so finding a trap though usually does actually have a dc in the written descriptions of each trap so if you do have like the net trap for example is actually one that is listed in the dungeon masters well a falling net not the yankee net but uh anyway it only takes a dc of 10 to find a tripwire trap by rules as written and this is actually something that I rather dislike. The fact of that traps have a set DC is not something that I'm fond of. So this is something that I do recommend thought into for all Dungeon Masters. Figure out the rules for traps in your world. Do all traps have a set DC or do does whoever makes the trap get to make a skill check to set a DC similar to just like having opposed roles, basically in that situation of setting the trap versus finding the trap. Because again, if someone just has a 12 wisdom, their passive perception would be 11, even if untrained. And the fact that they just are automatically able to find that no matter how well they, the trap maker makes it is disappointing to me. Like I'm not, fond of that idea at all so sure okay they might be able to do that but again yeah just not fond of that anyway so there are like i was saying a moment ago though 
two important distinctions, which is finding the trap and dealing with the trap. And how to disable a trap is something that a lot of DMs forget to think about, which is irksome, because it is very important if you are setting up this dangerous thing or multiple potentially, like we were talking before with, you know, stack traps, not knowing how to turn it off is a bad thing. So you as the DM, if you are putting in a trap, you need to consider both how to find and how to disable. So generally speaking, there are two ways that a trap can be disabled. So for a mechanical trap, it is usually done with a dex check using thieves tools to mess up whatever the mechanism is, generally. On the other hand, for a magic trap, it's usually going to be the dispel magic spell to just disable the magic. I mean, dispel it, kind of what it says on the tin there. However, as I do love saying so very often, there are an infinite number of ways to go about such things. So to not use rules as written is really what I do prefer in regards to traps in 5th edition D&D, because I am not very fond of the rules as written, of having it be so easy. Like, I like having creativity be rewarded. And honestly, that goes both ways of like for the dungeon master coming up with something neat or the players that have a particularly good idea. So as an example, let's say that you have a chest that has a trap in it that like if the rogue messes up the pick, like trying to pick the lock, then it fires a dart that is poisoned at them. Like if like the paladin in the party just decides like, hey, wait a minute, like maybe they like do really good on their perception check and figure out that, oh, there is a there is a trap if it goes badly. Then if they just hold their shield in front of the dart launcher to let the rogue work without distraction, then, yeah, I'm not going to make them roll like a saving throw for the dart if they have the shield in front of it, because that's good planning as a result of finding the trap to mitigate the effect. That is good playing. That is good use of what you have available to you. So absolutely, that should be rewarded by saving them the necessity of rolling to save on that, because there's no need at that point. Reward players for doing smart things. It is true for all things, but definitely for traps. Like, you should never just punish players for figuring out how to get around things. Like, that is a good thing in my book and something that players should be rewarded for. So anyway, uh, regarding the magic traps, once again, I mentioned that the normal way is casting dispel magic, but it's weird to me that they don't mention to just break the thing. Like if you have a statue that breathes fire, if you smash the statue, it shouldn't be able to breathe fire anymore. And I hope that they're just assuming that that's obvious, but it's not mentioned. So a lot of people focus on rules as written. So there are people who would interpret it as like, if it doesn't say you can do it, then you can't. But but you can. Come on. Like, be reasonable and logical when it comes to how to potentially disable a trap. Or again, if you have like a pit trap with like a spring hinged lid, if you have like, uh, you know, pittens from a climbing kit or if you have something like a 10 foot pole, then yeah. You should be allowed, if you have like the height and the leverage to do so, the ability to just like, yeah, you wedge it in and then the lid is open 
and then okay you're fine or you have like the 10 foot pole that you can just kind of use as just a way to kind of pry it open and you know maybe a check to try to shimmy up the pole if players do smart things let them so i have been just rambling on quite a lot about all of this nathan have you come up with any other just fun potential uses of traps that i haven't mentioned drowning yeah Drowning is a horribly, horribly dangerous thing. So that is absolutely something that I would put under the deadly category of traps. So even though it is not something that will necessarily do damage, drowning can be a TPK. So do not make that like a very difficult to escape trap if that is something that you take advantage of, because well okay let me rephrase don't do that to a low level party because that's just kind of a dick move at that point but on the other hand high level parties should have ways to mitigate an effect like that so this is where we go back to what i was trying to talk about earlier balancing traps is fucking hard because again you might just by accident create a situation that is a terrible matchup for the party so if you have that kind of situation where like okay you like the room is sealed the waters are coming but like they don't have any way to like plug the plug the hose they don't have any way to drain it back out they can't you know maybe they only will have one turn where like the water's high enough that they can reach the mechanism to turn it off but then they fail the check and then everyone dies that's not fun and the goal of D&D is for everyone to have fun. On the other hand, if it is a situation where lower level players go somewhere where they had warning that they shouldn't go, it's kind of on them at that point. But just be careful about such things because, yeah, a TPK is a thing that can happen. But to kill everyone in your party should never be done by accident. So just be careful of unwinnable situations. So one last thing to talk about, which is cost. Nathan, how much do you think traps cost in the Dungeon Master's Guide or other books? No idea. Correct. No one does. There are no prices listed in any of the books for any amount of traps. And this could be argued is similar to the fact that magic items in general don't have explicit pricing in fifth edition but this isn't just for magic traps like there is not any pricing for any trap mechanical or magical simple or complex at all anywhere in any book period and i will admit that irks my logical side so figuring out how to price your traps is a difficult question but one that i think dungeon masters should think about at least a little bit do you need to figure out a price guide for every single potential trap that exists no did i do that for once no like i just made a chart of just like if it does this much then this is how much it costs so i figured out like a power to price chart to make my life a little easier but also to give me like some amount of logic when planning out what traps there would be so another kind of important question is who makes traps and so this is a more kind of world building thing so dungeons and dragons is rife with traps all over the fucking place 
And most of them are like these, you know, ancient tombs, yada, yada, yada. But then there's always the question in my mind, who the fuck made all this shit? And why? Like, why do you just dig all of these like perfect, you know, 20 foot deep, you know, rectangular prism pits in these places, you know, make all the blades for the spikes at the bottom? Like, is there just like companies in large cities that just like when you die, you know, you can, you know, choose us to make your tomb like guaranteed to keep those pesky adventurers out for at least a hundred years. <laughs> and it's it's a fun world building thing to think. No, no, no. Can you imagine this? Like this. Okay. There's two countries and then one's poor and has all the adventurers. One's very rich and has all the goodies. And then what happens is that there's a company that's like, they're playing two games. They're like, Hey, we we can make dungeons for you and keep your stuff safe and then to the other guys, hey, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I found a location for you. Um, give us 20% of the proceeds. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, also just on the topic of cost still, just like that is a colossal amount of gold in a tomb that usually only has like maybe a magic item and a small amount a small chest of gold at the end but like the cost of the tomb is usually way fucking more than whatever is left at the end so like from the world building perspective it's weird so i always like just thinking about the whys of such things so like the way that i usually think of it though is that like tombs might actually belong to like an entire family so they make the tombs but then they'll usually get raided, you know, every, you know, generation, every couple hundred years. So that's why, like, there might be more traps added to a tomb over time. There might be less magic items left because previous adventurers have already just been through and stolen shit. And then they might just, you know, have a couple of things that, you know, they hadn't found on previous rounds just through a dungeon, like to treat the world as a living, breathing place that it does just change over time. And like I mentioned, like way earlier in this episode to consider that there might be adventurers that are just going to have like come across traps that have already gone off. In summary, traps are complicated as hell, but can be a really fun thing for dungeon masters to plan out new environments and even for players just to have the kind of triumphant moment when they do have an additional thing to overcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Rifts and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riftwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.